You are about to listen to the Friends of Anchor podcast, which keeps you up to date with the inspirational work of the Friends of Anchor charity and everything that it's doing to support cancer and haematology care in the northeast of Scotland. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Friends of Anchor podcast. I'm Mike Elder, your podcast host, and in today's show, I will be interviewing Erica Banks, the charity's communications lead. In addition, the outcome of recent rummages through the Friends Banker archives will be to cast the spotlight on the charitable work of a group of footballing fishermen and a hospital visit by some good pirates. First of all, though, as well as being our interviewee today, Erica Banks is also our go-to person when it comes to keeping us up to date with all matters connected with Friendsvanker. On this occasion, I started our conversation by asking her about an unusual fundraising event which we had both attended. So, Erica, first of all, there was obviously the runway run that just happened on Saturday there. That was quite an evening. I think I dared you to a race, which I instantly regretted as soon as I saw you. <laughs> uh, and what was the outcome, Erica? You smoked me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it like that. I was being urged on by my family, Alison and Bex, ran with me, which was just brilliant. It was lovely. <laughs> but it was great that there were quite a few Friends of Anchor people there. Yeah, it was wonderful to see so many Friends of Anchor fundraisers. It's funny, for an event like that, they had organised these high-vis t-shirts, of course, so you could be seen on the runway. And so our fundraisers weren't in the in the classic red t-shirt so we we're kind of walking around the terminal trying to find some familiar faces and get to know new fundraisers too so it just felt really good to be back at the start line and eventually the finish line of a race and it was just quite an experience being on the runway at midnight yeah the novelty it was really dark didn't you think yep absolutely. much darker than i expected agreed yeah, I think I was expecting floodlights and fire engines with their lights blaring, but it really was just the cat's eyes of the runway. So it was quite surreal because you couldn't, you didn't really get a great sense of how many people were on the runway with you. No, but we did get our photograph taken with a helicopter in the background. Yeah, keepsake for life. <laughs> so that event happened and I think they had a good response and good amount of money arising from that. Yeah, some excellent fundraising. So the, the final total is still to be revealed, but I know so far that over £40,000 has been raised through the efforts of the runners and the raffle on the nights which is phenomenal and that's to benefit three local charities so as well as friends of anchor there's kaylee's we stars and a charity called we too so yeah three local causes all benefiting from that event which is wonderful and we should give a bit of a shout out to the organizers i think because it was a tremendous event yeah it went it just went so smoothly so special shout out to ryan broadhurst from chc ryan's a helicopter pilot and essentially it's taken this event on run with it and this is the third time that it's come into being and it was just yeah impeccably organized and really good fun clearly a passion project for ryan and the team at chc absolutely okay so what's coming up So as we are recording this, we're preparing for our golf day on Friday this week. I think the 20th year that that event has been. Yeah, this year is the 20th year of the golf event. And when you consider that the charity is 25 years old and we have an event that has run for 20 years, that's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really long-standing. And there are some teams and companies who've been involved since the very first year in 2002 as well. So to have had the support from those people through that number of years is incredible. So we're looking forward to this one. It'll be a little bit extra special because it's a milestone. And we've got the date for next year's golf day. So if they've got any super organised people out there vying for golf dates in the calendar, then ours for 2023 will be on Friday, September the 1st next year. Put it in the diary. It's never too early to talk about these things, I think, is it? Absolutely. 
Uh, so that's a big one, but it's a long way off. And then a little bit more immediately, we've got the Edinburgh Kilt Walk on September 18th. So we've got eight walkers taking part and a special shout out has definitely got to go to three of them. So Leslie and Gordon Flett are doing this kilt walk and it will be their fourth kilt walk of the year. So they've done all four Scottish kilt walks for Friends of Anchor so far this year, Brilliant. as has Marie Patterson. So, I mean, amazing support from any kilt walker, but to have done all four in a sure. year. Wow, it's a lot of miles. No, that's great. It is great. And the kilt walk's a good one because you get the 50% top up from the, the Hunter Foundation. So the fundraising that our kilt walkers and the kilt walk have achieved so far this year is in excess of 83k. That's outstanding. Huge. So it's one that we, uh, you know, the Kilk is one we encourage people to take part. It's got, it's got a magical vibe to it as well. It's got a really nice community spirit at the Kilt Walk. So that's coming up. And uh, do you know what? September's a really busy month. Uh, the fundraising team have been out pretty much every weekend at various different things, which is always fun to, to see people. So Naomi from the fundraising team is at the Buck and Bridal Bash on September 18th. It's at the Nescall campus in Fraserburgh. So if you're recently engaged or you've been engaged for ages like me and you're planning the wedding still oh, lovely um that is a good one to check out and we've got lovely things like wedding favors we've got some new wedding favors which are place settings for each seat around the table with plantable uh seed hearts mm. so it's a little something so people can go away plant that in the soil if they're green fingered great if they're not it doesn't matter because you can't go wrong with it um, fantastic to give and that's the Buckin bridal bash. bridal bash so you can find that one on facebook and we'll also be at Cove Rangers Football Club for their match against our broth on October 1st. Our volunteers will be there collecting donations from anyone who wishes to give a little bit of spare change to the buckets. Because so Cove Rangers are great supporters of the charity Huge as well. Huge supporters of the charity this year in particular. It's their centenary year. So we're very grateful to have been taken under their wing as the chosen charity for the year. And is that helping their season as far as you know? Have you been keeping an eye on their scores? If I admit now that I just don't follow football, will you judge me? <laughs> Not at all, Erica. <laughs> And uh, yeah, we must say good luck to all of our fundraisers who are taking on an event this month as well. So uh, good luck to George and V who are organising the VT Wealth Ball on September 23rd. Uh, I'll be going along as will a couple of committee members. Really looking forward to it. And if you're listening to this episode close to the release date and you fancy a ticket, you could probably still squeeze one in there. We've got Hannah doing a ladies' day in support of her hubby Steve, who's running the London Marathon. Brilliant. And Rovop, who've chosen Friends of Anchor as their corporate charity for the year. Some of the staff are taking on the Bankery Beast Race. So mud, cold water, hills, Sounds ropes. like your kind of thing, Erica. Sounds horrible, <laughs> but a great fundraiser and a great thing to get involved with. So huge good luck to them and anyone else taking on an event for Friends of Anchor too. And what date is the Bankery Beast Race taking place? I couldn't tell you, Mike. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> but the people participating will know. And good luck to them. Absolutely. It's at the, it's at the end of uh, September. Excellent. In our first podcast, Sarah Jane mentioned the thank you event that's happening on Friday, October the 7th at the hospital. Can you tell us a bit about that or give us an update on that? Absolutely. So we'll tease out a few more details in the next episode too. But in essence, this is an opportunity for anyone who has fundraised or donated to Friends of Anchor or even just become aware of the cause recently to come along and find out a little bit more what we're about, how the funds and donations are spent. Uh, so it's a chance to meet researchers and what have you and a really good opportunity to get involved and meet some people in person. That sounds great. But more information coming next time. Absolutely. Terrific. Thank you very much indeed for all of that, Erica. And it sounds as if the next two or three weeks are going to be pretty busy ones for you and the Friends of Anchor team. Yes, absolutely it does. And uh, we're calling on lots of volunteers to help us with these as well. So wish us luck. Good luck. Erica and I also spoke recently about her role at Friends of Anchor, how the charity makes a difference and what its current priorities are. 
I started by asking her to tell us a bit about herself and what she did in her life before Friends of Anchor. So my name is Erica. I am originally from Dumfries and Galloway, about as far away as you can get from Aberdeen, staying in the same country. I am the communications lead at Friends of Anchor and I've been here for four years, but I trained in journalism and cut my teeth, as it were, at the Evening Express before moving to Aberdeen Performing Arts, where I got to see an insight into the local arts and theatre scene. And then a turn of fate brought me to Friends of Anchor and I've been here ever since. And you say a, t- a turn of fates. Can you give a little more detail on yeah. how, it's ha- how it happened? Were you looking for moving into the charity sector? I wasn't looking for anything, Mike. I was very happy. I loved my job. I loved the people that I worked with and I loved what I did. Um, but the power of social media and my boss, Sarah Jane, had different ideas. So she had sent me a message on LinkedIn to say that an opening had come up at Friends of Anchor and would I fancy meeting up for a coffee? So I went to meet her to find out a little bit more and the more I heard about what the charity did and what the opportunity was the more easily I was convinced that this is the way that I should go. So I uh, with a few tears waved goodbye to my old job and came to Friends of Anchor and have loved learning more about what the charity does ever since because the services are always developing and the charity is always growing and also we've been on the go for 25 years so you're also learning new things all the time about what things were like back in the day or how X, Y or Z came about so Every day you learn something new, surprisingly, even after four years. Brilliant. And can you tell us a bit about what your job entails and the kind of things that you do in your role for Friends of Anchor? Yes. So the boring job title, as it were, is Communications Lead, which really covers everything from producing and editing the quarterly Spotlight magazine down to the souvenir programmes that we put together for events, through to writing posters and flyers and material for patients in the hospital. So that's a large part of my job, but also because we're a really small team here, there's a huge focus on everyone on the annual events that we put on. So we all within the team wear our event hats as well. So that's a huge part of the job too. And it's such a cliche, but no two days are the same. I can imagine. And talking about events, hats, I think you were very much involved in Brave and Courage on the Catwalk this year. That was quite an involvement for you, I think. Yeah, that was a big one. It is a huge labour of love, that event, because when people ask what Courage on the Catwalk and Brave are, in essence, they boil down to that they're a fashion show. And when you say that to someone, it just doesn't feel like you're doing it justice because, you know, it is weeks of rehearsals with the models, getting to know them, building their confidence, which we do alongside the event partners, Premier Productions as well. But it's much more than that too. You know, it's the booking of the the suppliers and the venues a year in advance, thinking about theming and getting local suppliers on board to make that happen, coordinating an incredible team of dozens of volunteers. So it's really kind of a half year long project for something that then culminates in a four day weekend. But it is a really special one. And every year I think, oh, nothing can top that. And every year something else comes out the bag and it's just amazing. Brilliant. Can you tell me a bit about what Friends of Anchor actually do, the funds that that are being raised by Friends of Anchor, what does that go towards? The four key areas that we fund, they are patient well-being, medical equipment, cancer and haematology research and clinical excellence. So those are the kind of four pillars of what we fund and can delve down a bit deeper into those. If anybody wants to know more, that's what we're here for. Brilliant. And you've got a website that gives that information as well. We do. Yeah. Check out the website, guys. Brilliant. And what for you are the key ways in which Friends of Anchor makes a difference? 
So one thing that's always made an impression on me, especially as someone who didn't have any personal ties to the cause before coming to work here, is how much the little things can make a difference. So we're currently recording this podcast on what is probably the hottest day of the year so far. It's about 28 degrees. And um, in the hospital, it's going to be even hotter. There's no airflow. At the moment, there aren't fans in there. So one of the small things that we do on a daily basis is go around the wards handing out calippos. Something as simple as a frozen cooling isolate to just help you feel a little bit more sane in that moment so there's small things like that and then on a larger scale you know I'm really impressed by some of the investments that we've been able to make over the years in equipment some of these pieces of kit are like Scotland first pieces that wouldn't otherwise be funded by the NHS but that Friends of Anchor is able to come in and say well we can make that happen for you and that's an amazing position to be in and it's only thanks to you know the donors and fundraisers. That really is terrific. And what are currently some of the main priorities and points of interest regarding the charity? At the moment, we're fundraising £2 million for the Anchor Centre, which is due to open next year. So our funding will allow the building to basically be provided to a spec that otherwise wouldn't be able to be met by the NHS alone. So it's enhancing the furniture, the surroundings, planting terraces and green spaces. We'll be creating a complementary therapy room, which is a completely non-clinical feeling space off the ward where you can go for massage or hydrotherm or to have your feet seen to by our podiatrist or if you would even like to have your hair cut or your head shaved it's a completely private place to go to allow that to happen so I think when the centre opens that will be something that people will be very aware of but out with that you know our effort to continue fundraising for the day-to-day stuff continues so we're fundraising two million but we're also continuing everything else that the charity does too. And you and the team have quite a lot of contact with supporters of the charity is that right? We have an opportunity to really get to know donors and fundraisers and sometimes patients really well and that's the beauty of having quite a small team I think so there's nothing quite like turning up at the start line of a 10k seeing other people in red t-shirts and being able to run a race with them and have a good yap with them around the course and that's something that is wonderful because we are a local charity for local people. So that's one of the most pleasant elements of the job. And it's a feeling of community that I didn't really expect to experience when I started working here. And that sense of community also means, I think, that you and the team often receive feedback from people who have been supported, encouraged and helped by the charity in a wide variety of different ways. So within the fundraising team, we don't operate out of the hospital. We are very grateful to reside in the lovely offices of Balmoral Group, who obviously pay the running costs of the charity. I say obviously, it's not, it's not obvious, but we are very grateful that the company does that. So I suppose our day-to-day interaction with people in the hospital is slightly less than what it is for the wellbeing team. So at the moment, that's a core team of four people who are in the hospital every single day, engaging with patients, having a chat with them, you know, being that non-clinical face to go in and they're not there to take blood and they're not there to ask about your medical record. They're just there to be a friendly smile and have a chat with you. And one of the nicest things about working in the fundraising office is that you go down to the pigeonhole in the morning and you pick up the post and we'll open the letters and the cards and the handwritten notes that have come through and said, I saw one of your volunteers when I was in for my first treatment or, you know, I was greeted by one of your welcome team volunteers or I had my hair cut or I had my nails painted and it made me feel X, you know, so much better or valued or listened to. And sometimes it's just, oh, I really enjoyed the chat. And that's so nice. So while we don't get to be with patients every single day, we're fortunate and then we get to feel close to the cause and to see that work. And we always take pictures of those lovely letters straight away and send them into the group chat so that everyone can see the feedback, which buoys you up. 
And obviously you have your organized fundraising events and activities. Is it possible, is it okay for someone just to decide on their own activity or event? How does that happen? How do people go about it? What kind of things do people do themselves? I love it when people do that. So we welcome any kind of fundraising. Um, the the bake sales and the head shaves and the sponsored cycles through to full-blown events that people organise with hundreds of raffle prizes and all sorts. And I suppose the important thing for people to know is if they fancy taking on some fundraising for Friends of Anchor, that's what we are here to support with. If it's your first time trying something and you maybe don't know how to do it or if you would like to know guidelines around raffles from the mundane logistical stuff through to the brainstorming ideas and helping you promote your event on social media and that kind of thing. So we've had, I mean, all sorts last year, and I'm sure we'll hear from him on the podcast. We had a gent called Matt and he ran 10K every single day. Absolutely incredible. And for good measure, he threw in a half marathon every month and he also ran two marathons. <laughs> so people... Just because he could. Yeah, just because he could. And I think that's just incredible. And more recently, we had a gentleman, he was on active treatment and he was walking around his neighbourhood called it his walk around the block and that's what he did as his fundraising and everyone's goal is is personal to them yeah. and you can run a marathon and it might be easy and you can run a marathon and it might take a year and we're so grateful for everything that everyone does and yeah we love it when someone picks up the phone or pops an email or messages on facebook so if you'd like to do that then that's where we are terrific erica thank you so much for sharing about yourself and about what you do and also about friends of anchor it's been great to hear thank you thank you very much mike looking forward to hearing from all of our other guests in the future we will hear regularly from erica on this podcast so i'm delighted that you have now heard her speak in some detail and have been able to hear about her history involvement and passions in connection with Friends of Anchor. In our first episode, I introduced our From the Archives feature, and we delved into some stories from the local newspaper, The Press and Journal, which went back 25 years to the charity's first year of operation, 1997. In this episode, we turn back the clock to August 1997 in particular, as a significant amount of Friends of Anchor-related activity was going on during that month, as reported once again by the redoubtable P&J. Getting the month off on the right foot was the Burnett School of Dancing in Fraserburgh, which raised £2,450 for the Friends of the Anchor Unit, as the charity was called at that time. The owner of the dancing school, Alixa Gunn, explained that the money had been raised through a concert, a parents' night, a buttery morning, and the fundraising efforts of dance pupil Sarah Lumsden, who had undertaken a sponsored cycle ride. For listeners not acquainted with the concept of a buttery morning, the buttery or rowie originated in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire and is a savoury bread roll that looks somewhat like a croissant that has been flattened and then bulked up with butter or lard so that it can fulfil its traditional remit of providing an energy-filled morning snack for hard-working fishermen. If you would like to find out more about this local delicacy, the Press and Journal, as ever, can come to your aid with multiple online articles on the topic, including one from 2014 which appears under the headline 17 Things You Might Not Know About Aberdeen Rowies. Also hailing from the Broch were Alan Much and Michael Murray of Fraserburgh Inshore Fisherman Limited, who handed over a cheque for £5,500 to the Friends of Anchor Appeal on the 21st of August. Interestingly, a quarter of a century before the Lionesses flew the flag for women's football, 
and triumphed in the Euros, the money had been raised as a result of 19 teams of Northeast fishermen and their wives taking part in a five-a-side football tournament in the grounds of Fraserburgh Academy. The description of the next donation is one of my favourites, so I'm going to let the text of the present journal article speak for itself. The headline was Good Pirates Visit Hospital and the core section of the item read as follows. Aberdeen Royal Infirmary was yesterday invaded by a horde of cutlass-brandishing pirates. Under the disguises were staff from Wiseman Dairies in Aberdeen who were donating a treasure chest of £2,600 to buy the latest piece of chemotherapy treatment for the Friends of Anchor Appeal. Wiseman staff raised £1,300 by selling balloons from their float at the tall ship's celebration last month and dairy bosses doubled it to £2,600. The donation has enabled the unit to buy a WalkMed, the latest portable chemotherapy infusion pump, which allows patients to receive treatment at home or at work. After such a busy period of fundraising activity, it comes as no surprise that the P&J was able to announce at the end of the month that the appeal fund had reached £60,000, enabling Dr Andy Hutchin to announce that £25,000 was going to be spent on a much-needed item of equipment in the form of a cell separator for bone marrow transplants. We'll have more from the archives in the next episode, but it's now time to resume the Finding for Words conversation that my wife, Alison, and I began in episode one. We explained that we are interested in the words and language that we use when our lives are affected by a serious illness, and said that we would start by reflecting on the communication that took place at the time of my diagnosis. In this episode, we are going to do this under the general heading of what's in a name, prompted partly by the fact that cancer has been described as the most feared word in the English dictionary. So Alison, welcome back to the Friends Vanker podcast. With apologies for throwing you in at the deep end with a horrible question, can you tell us how you felt when you learnt that I had a possible diagnosis of cancer? Thanks, Mike. That's certainly some way to welcome me back to the show. Well, it wasn't a great moment, to be honest. Your mum had just died, and that single word cancer felt like a step into the unknown, full of questions and emotions. Even though I knew that you were having some tests done for a lump, you were fit and healthy, so to hear that you might have cancer came as quite a shock. It certainly didn't help that cancer has such ugly associations of being a horrible disease that can be very hard to treat and is often fatal. Absolutely. And yes, I was surprised that even dictionary definitions use expressions such as cancerous cells can invade and destroy surrounding healthy tissue making it sound as if it's a malign arch-enemy waging war on us in a very deliberate and strategic manner. I also don't think that it helps that cancer covers so many different types of disease affecting many different parts of the body. It makes it sound as if it's a single super-illness that cannot be defeated because it's like a multi-headed hydra that can regenerate and will get you one way or another in the end. And in fact, there are actually more than 200 different types of cancer and each one needs to be diagnosed and then treated in a particular way. Once I'd absorbed that first impact of hearing the word cancer, it certainly helped as I switched on my medical brain and started asking the what questions. What specific type of cancer is this? How advanced is it? What can be done to treat it? While those questions inevitably remained unanswered while we awaited the test results, at least I knew there'd be a process that would move us on from the headline in my brain going, it's cancer, it's cancer. And it really doesn't help that cancer is 
not just a rubbish word because of its meaning, it's a rubbish word because it's not fit for its purpose. This is obviously the view of a former English teacher rather than a member of a medical profession, but especially in any kind of technical context, I expect words to communicate their meaning in a clear and straightforward manner. For example, if a doctor tells me that I've had a heart attack, it's immediately obvious to me that my heart is the problem and that it has been put under some kind of pressure. What does the word cancer tell me? Well, it comes from the Greek and Latin words meaning crab, because our ancient Greek friend Hippocrates, who was mentioned in episode 1, saw a strong likeness between a tumour spreading out in strands from a central mass and a crab with its dangling legs. So all that the word cancer tells me is that I have one of over 200 separate illnesses, that it could affect any single part of my body, or indeed the whole body, that it could spread in a number of different ways depending on its type, and that its symptoms may or may not look like a crab. Personally, I don't find that very helpful. But ranting about it isn't going to change anything. And does it actually make any difference? You've still got the condition, whatever it's called. Changing the name isn't going to make it any better or worse, surely. Well, I think that's why we're having this conversation, because you're right that a name change isn't going to alter the reality of the situation, but it might change how we think about it and respond to it. And I think that can be significant and helpful. So, once the test results were in, you were given an official diagnosis of mantle cell lymphoma, which is a B-cell non-Hodgkin blood cancer. In what ways was that more helpful a diagnosis than just being told you had cancer? Well, I think the two obvious reasons were that I now had a specific name for my illness and therefore felt that the issue had been clearly identified. And it also gave me helpful information that I could pass on to others when they asked about my diagnosis. The other key point, of course, was that I was able to understand the exact nature of the threat posed by the illness and what the hospital was planning to do in order to deal with it. And I think that you also had a couple of personal quirky reactions to the whole name issue as well. Let's be honest, you're probably not going to be very relevant to anyone else, but I imagine you want to let us know about them anyway. (laughs) You know me so well. As you said, my particular brand of cancer was a non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And that seemed very odd to me. I mean, how often do you define something by what it isn't? We don't, for example, describe Aberdeen as a city in the northeast of Scotland, which is not Dundee. Or talk about fully formed circular mint sweets as non-polos. But the moment when things really cracked open for me was when you had a slip of a tongue and referred to it as mental cell lymphoma rather than mantle cell lymphoma. That was just the kind of moment of light relief that... I needed, and it also gave me a way of explaining the illness, that my cells had gone mental and out of control, while keeping the tone of the conversation light, and I found that very helpful. I'm so glad my slip of the tongue was helpful. I suppose the big question coming out of the points that we've discussed today is whether or not they're relevant for other people, or do they work only for someone like you who thinks about words in such detail? I reckon that the way that we think and speak about difficult situations can influence the way that we react to them, and also how other people respond. But it would be really interesting to widen the conversation and to hear the thoughts of our listeners on this topic. Yes, please do get in touch by emailing foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk if you'd like to agree, disagree or open up a new line of discussion in response to what you've heard during this episode. But we're going to leave it there for this week, I think. So just now, thank you very much, Alison. And please join us again next time when we will be talking about the conversations that you have with medical staff when you're trying to take in new information from them and at the same time your brain is trying to process what's going on and what it's all going to mean for you.
To conclude this episode, I felt that I should draw on a haematology example for the, and finally slot, having started off with a cancer-related illustration last time. As we did with cancer, let's go back to Hippocrates and see what that early medical authority figure had to say about blood. The first thing to note is that Hippocrates subscribed to the view that blood was one of the four essential elements of human life, which became known as the four humours. The theory that developed was that illness occurred when these different elements were out of balance with each other. The body would automatically try to restore a healthy equilibrium through various means, but if that did not happen, early physicians, such as Hippocrates, advised that nature be given a helping hand, with the result that it became an accepted idea that for certain conditions, it was necessary to remove some blood so that normal services and efficiencies could be restored within the body. I'm not quite ready to launch into the various bloodletting options that were used over the years and how successful, or otherwise, they proved to be. We will return to that topic in due course. In the meantime, I will simply note that the removal of blood by surgical means has been such a common medical practice over the years that the existence within a hospital context of a facility called a bleeding room generally appears not to have aroused the kind of concern or consternation that might have been expected. So, thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode of the Friends of Anchor podcast, and please have a look at the show notes for relevant information and links. And please also do get in touch with your thoughts, feedback, questions and suggestions via email at foapodcast at freerangepodcasting.co.uk, all lowercase. Having inserted this cheeky extra episode in the middle of this month, I hope that you will join us at the start of next month where my guest will be John Greensmith, who recently took part in Brave, the inspirational fashion show mentioned by Erica earlier, that has become a great favourite in the calendar of events organised annually by Friends of Anchor. In the meantime, look after yourselves and each other. And if you're supporting someone who is undergoing treatment, please know that you will be making a difference. But do remember to take care of yourself as well. This podcast has been brought to you by Free Range Podcasting. Let us take you and your podcast where you want to go. 